Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, the Rockefeller Center, newsstand studios for a Classics in the Field, yeah, special edition with Matt Sartwell from Kitchen Arts and Letters. How you doing, Matt? I'm well. Thank you for having me back. Oh, we always love it. We got Joe Rock in the panels. How you doing, Joe Hazen? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, you loving this rainy, rainy, rainy weather? Love it. Love, love it. Love it. Uh, got uh, John behind me back from his uh, Connecticut staycation. How you doing, yeah, John? Doing great, thanks. Let's say you live in New York. It's not really a staycation, but it's, Connecticut's still your home, yeah? Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And in Connecticut, we have Nastasia the Hammer Lopez on Coastal Connecticut. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Yeah. And... Uh, you know the two the two people on the West Coast. We got, I believe, Jack uh, Jackie Molecules. Jack Insley is in Los Angeles. Am I correct? DC this time. Oh, geez, man! I th- when are you going to hold down that lower left corner? I know, I know, I know. Inconsistent. I got to tell you that intro you did really brought me back to like 2010 or something. That was real like throwback. You like intro that? energy with the classic yeah, in the field good. with a classic in the field edition. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just yeah. a little extra oomph in it, you know, it was good. A little kapow. You got to bring that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and we got this, uh, we didn't Nastasia. Oh, we didn't do Quinn. We got Quinn, uh, up there. He's hey. holding down the, uh, upper, upper left-hand corner there in Vancouver Island. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now's the, now's the time on the show. We talk about anything interesting in the past week or so that, uh, maybe from a culinary standpoint, I'll, I'll share my two, all right? Uh, we are going to launch, and we mentioned this last week, but I'm just going to keep mentioning it. We are going to launch the uh, Spins All campaign for the new Centrifuge Mark II probably next week, right, Stas? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I've been, uh, <clears throat> been messing with the prototype, trying to, like, tweak it here or there, get the weights exactly right. And so, uh, yeah, that's what all three of us— uh, are doing. Can I tell you a little internal argument we're having, Matt? Of course. About the utility. You might have something to say about this. <laughs> about the utility of AI as a helper to generate campaign uh, verbiage. What do you think? Uh, what I've seen has been really stilted. Mm. Uh, so I, I think you might get like a starting point, but you're going to have to be in there and writing all over it anyway. So mm. it, it depends on how you work. But what I've seen has you look at it and you're like, is this AI? Mm. What if it just says, I like centrifuges? Oh, well, then who can argue with that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> buy sounds, one. Buy one now. Sounds like a front page New York Times ad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're telling me New York Times now is AI and they're not telling me? <laughs> Bad news there. But. Did I mention on air that uh, um, <clears throat> Serious Eats had to send a note to every single contributor saying uh, you're not allowed to use AI to write a Serious Eats article? No. <laughs> yeah. Did they indicate whether they suspected that was happening or they were No, it was right at the beginning. Preemptive, preemptive, I think, just like so that that no one would accuse them, I think. I think they needed to come out with a hardcore policy Uh statement, like even before anything had, you know, you know, quote unquote, we are not an aggregator site. Because basically that's what AI is just a really good aggregator, right? What I've seen of it, yeah. I mean, I I assuredly don't understand all the details, but I mean, it's good for like asking simple questions. But if you want it to be creative, it's not going to get you there yeah yeah well while, while you're going do you have any interesting food stories from the past week or did you enjoy the antiquarian book fair i didn't go to the antiquarian book fair my colleague laura jackson went on our behalf she did not come home with uh with anything the the dealers there play at a pretty serious level and most of the time we're interested in finding books that we can pass along to people for use and at the antiquarian fair it's col- collecting like 
prices two to three to five times what we might expect to sell something for. So, right. yeah, we didn't play in that in that ballpark. Also, it, there's got to be how long, just so, you know, what I'm not trying to date you, but how long have you been in this kind of, in this book deal business? <laughs> uh, since 1991. Uh, okay. So, and I remember what it used to be like to buy things back in the pre-internet days and totally different experience. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's continuing to change and uh, people are finding different ways to put their stuff out there, but. Um, your ability to find a, a chunk of gold in a sack of dross is not as good as it used to be, right? I mean, it's still out there. I mean, you can still find amazing deals just because people are, you know, overwhelmed by volume. I mean, I have a former coworker who who doesn't do f- search for food books, but you know, he went to an estate sale in Massachusetts and found a, a signed copy of Fitzgerald's *The Sight of Paradise* for four dollars. Oh, four dollars! So yeah. the world still offers up treasures like that. You just have to be uh, assiduous about getting out there looking for things um, and being willing to like open a book up when the person who's selling it hasn't bothered to do that. I find estate sales incredibly depressing. Uh, undeniably so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, especially when they're in the person's house <laughs> and like you know. Yeah, I mean, the thing about book collections is that they are often powerfully meaningful to the person who put them together. And unless um, there's somebody in the family or very tightly connected who has a similar set of passions, the collection rarely means as much to anyone else as it did to the person who assembles it, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't put together a collection that you love because, you know, it's your life. You should be having, you know, the books that you want to have. But um, sometimes a family is just overwhelmed by something that's highly specialized and they don't, don't know what to do with it. And so it gets dispersed. Um, I mean, you're, gonna, you're saying that no one in my family understands that how to make whips is actually the classic in the field <laughs> on how to do uh, plaiding of whips. Well, they, they don't get it. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. You could sit down and have a family discussion. But, yeah. um, it's... It's common for us to hear people, you know, somebody comes in and says, oh, you know, my aunt died and she has this amazing collection of books and um, I'd like to sell it to you. And we look at it and, you know, maybe there are four or five things in there that we have a call for. And the rest of it is is ordinary to us, but to that person who put them together, they meant a hell of a lot. And um, teasing apart the things that are going to be easy to find a home for and those things which um, essentially lost their specific value when the person who collected them died. Mm. Um, it can be a sort of a tender moment kind of thing. And I don't mean that ironically. It's just you, it's part of the, uh, the way life changes. Yeah. Speaking of tender, Tully's Chicken Tenders in upstate New York says they have the best chicken tenders. And I was like, you got to suck. And they were actually pretty good. Where's Tully's Chicken Tenders? It's a ch- small chain in kind of like upper and usually left-hand New York state. Yeah. Huh? And they were like, Tully's home of the world. And their little frog is, uh, sorry, a, t- a turtle as their little emblem. For chicken tenders. And they're like, well, at this, it's a family restaurant. Okay. Right? Like we're a family show, I guess, which I guess means don't curse when you order. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they were like, they were like, uh, yeah, home of the world's greatest chicken tenders. And whenever I see anything like that, I'm like, you're a jerk. You haven't been in the whole world. You don't know what you're talking about. And uh, Dax, this is when we were, we went to uh, uh, Binghamton to look at, was that Binghamton? Yeah, we were at Binghamton to look at their uh, school, and uh, he was like, these are, in fact, the best chicken tenders I've ever eaten. I was like, 
Oh. Okay, Dax. Well, you know, wow. not the best in the world, but Dax's favorite sauce was bunk. They didn't give me the right sauce. Now, oh. I went I went to the <laughs> a lady. I'm like, she's like, what sauce do you want? I'm like, I don't know. What is like the Tully sauce? Give me like the Tully. And when I found out later, it wasn't what I got. She's like, ranch. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll get the ranch. <laughs> but like, whatever, man. Like, you know. It's like, let me know. I'm, I'm never coming to a Tully's again. Tomorrow I'll be dead. What's the sauce? Tell me what the sauce is. She wouldn't. Also, it is my other thing from the past couple of weeks is I finally had a Speedy sandwich in uh, Binghamton, New York. You familiar with the Speedy sandwich? I'm not. All right. So it's a sandwich that's only in Binghamton, New York. You leave, you go without like even like, uh, like 30 miles. They're gone. Only Binghamton. And it was started, you know, I forget when, a long time ago. Uh, and an Italian guy was coming and making like speedini, right? Like like a skewers at, with lamb originally. And he marinated the bejesus out of them in an acidic, what amounts to Italian dressing. Although I almost got smacked. I was at a, at a bar at the local <laughs> like Holiday Inn in, with my wife in uh, in Binghamton. You know, my son was asleep. We're out at the bar. And... Uh, I was like, isn't the sauce, isn't it basically Italian dressing? He's like, yeah, in the way that champagne is basically water. That's what he said to me. <laughs> wow, you, uh, you, you found wow, the tender wow. spot. Yeah, 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 going back to tenders. And then he was like, you know, people say, it's, it, what they do is it's, it's, it's just meat. It's like just meat on a hoagie roll. So it's like, it's no, there's no cheeses, there's no, there's no nothing, right? So then he's like, people will come and they'll say that it's just like, you know, a shish kebab on a roll and it's not i'm like okay meanwhile the bartender is like it is it what you're saying is all true you know what i mean <laughs> and uh but anyway so we had it at one of the top one of the top places but we had it at the end of the night so the chicken was a little dry and they they were out of pork and they didn't have lamb which apparently lamb is the ur speedy so they say speedy but it's based on spadini i think so yeah. okay but they call it speedy like like, like, I'm quick, speedy, but it's spelled I-E. Okay. But they pronounce it speedy. Hmm. Right. And so they just go, plap, they do it on big grill. So it has to have a, it has to be marinated, marinated for infinity in what amounts to Italian dressing. And then, plus, right, right. And then, like, some people add a little more to it. And some people will butter the roll, but you're supposed to take it off the grill and blap on the roll. And that's it. End of story. Done. And so it's a very unadorned sandwich. In the way that beef on weck is an unadorned Returns. sandwich, right, from Buffalo. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it took me about half the sandwich to appreciate it. Because sure. in my mind, I'm adding things to it. I'm like, what if I had sautéed onions? What if I had this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway. So, no cheese? No cheese, no sautéed onions, no condiments of any sort, no mustards. No, if you're a ketchupy sort of a person. So that's a powerful marinade. Yeah, yeah. Well, or like, or like I say, it's a little bit of an austere. It's like something that Katie Parla might be eating on the, on <laughs> in one of her, you know, Italian cookbooks. But uh, uh, anyway, so that, those are those are uh, those are my stories. What do you, what do you guys got for me? You were on vacation, John. What do you got? Staycation. I had two meals from Joel Gargano's uh, market oh, nice. out in Old Saybrook, and they were very, very good. Wait, um, so wait, you can sit and eat there, or you mean you got to take home? No, you can sit. I did both. Yeah. Went All there right. for lunch and then did some takeout for dinner, and everything was quite delicious. So slumming it across the river there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, there's, the, there's, the, there's the lime side of the Connecticut River. <laughs> and then there's—actually, Old Saybrook is pretty fancy, but, yeah, if, you go, but fancy. if you go up to Chester, that's more of like a— you know, Yeah, a little more humble. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I'm humble, but it's like more like, you know— people that I would hang out with. Yeah. Not that I don't hang out with people. I have family in Lyme. Anyway, 
Fine people, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, fine people in line. Yeah, but also made a, I've been toying around with pasta alla gricia, I think that's how you pronounce it, which uh-huh. is the, either the carbonara minus the egg or the cacio e pepe with guanciale. And it was, uh, it's very good. It's fun to, to mess around with that. Well, what the hell is carbonara minus the egg? It's just like some, some it's, like it's, some. So no, it's, then it's just the black pepper, the cheese, and the guanciale and the guanciale fat. Okay, and it doesn't yeah. get all gloppy doppy. Was this like cacio e pepe with guanciale? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. It's another I don't know traditional cool. Roman pasta dish. Like yeah. that word cacio e pepe always gets me. I can't say it without thinking that it's an absurdity. It's an absurd. What? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Cacio e pepe. It just always sounds dumb to me. I mean, I know it's great. Whatever. Everyone loves it. Whatever. I'm not saying anything. I, I don't speak Italian. It doesn't matter what I think about the sound of the word. It just always gets me. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Cacio e pepe. What about you, Jack? I was sick as a dog, which is why I wasn't on the show last week. So I had a rough, I had a rough go at it this mm-hmm. week. A lot of takeout. And, I mean, I tried everything. It's like all the, all the things like have spicy soup or like feed the cold with a lot of protein, like nothing works, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, no. What's more fun that, than, uh, placebo, yeah. yeah. What's more fun than being sick when you're away? Well, I was home. Oh, I, okay. I, I was home when I was sick. Oh, yeah. Okay. You were in LA I just sick. Got to DC. Oh, cause I thought yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. hate being away sick, like being sick and not oh, having access horrible. to your own bathroom. The worst. Oof. You know what I mean? Pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, be, yep, it, yep. be it ever so humble, you want your own toilet. You know what I'm saying? When you're sick. Yeah. I mean, to make fun of myself here, the reason I got sick is definitely because I was at a music festival as a grown man, which is something we really I, I shouldn't have done. Is that true? Are you not allowed and, to go to uh, music festivals after a certain age? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like Coachella. As I'm 37, it was like, ah, do I really want to do this? My girlfriend hadn't been. We love Bjork. Bjork's playing. We're like, all right, oh, let's N- try it out. N- sure. Nastasia has beef with Bjork. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, Stas? Why? Beef with who? Bjork. <laughs> I don't have beef with her. You looked at her once. You said, dirty sneakers. She's too rich for that. I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> Now you remember? Wow. Wow. Now I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the kind of thing you can say in front of me and have me forget it. You know what I mean? The irony is that they're probably like, when you're that rich, they're probably like Balenciaga sneakers that are meant to look dirty. You know, they're probably like $500. Oh, like intentionally dirty? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Look, they were white. I, I I don't get the whole wearing all white thing, like freaking like wolf or like uh, cream rasheed or any of that stuff, because it's always like an invitation to be filthy. And even if you're not filthy, it's basically saying, I'm so rich that like I can throw my clothes away every night. You know what I mean? It's like having a disposable handkerchief <laughs> as your freaking clothes, I think. I don't know. I don't, I don't like yeah. it. Not my thing. Uh, well, what about you, Quinn? You got anything for us? Oh, yeah, I did a few things. I actually started some guanciale going because I'm getting a little low on my supply. And uh, then Sunday, we did uh, Macienda Masarina tacos and battered fish with a different Masarina. 
Now, you know Very who, good. You know who makes delicious masa battered things is uh, Jeremiah and Fabulous at uh, Wild Air. They used to do a, a squid in a masa harina, like crispy as hell. Oh, yeah. So crispy. Mm-hmm. And they made the squid ink mayonnaise that Booker required me to reverse engineer. And Booker can – so if you go to like uh, – Coluccio Brothers in, in uh, well, I guess that's Brooklyn. And, you know, they have like the large size of Squid Ink and uh, that, which is a lifetime supply for a restaurant. Booker can go through it week. Holy cow. Oh, uh, yeah. And, let me tell you something about Squid Ink. You think that your stainless steel is stainless <laughs> until you have to scrub the Squid Ink and the Squid Ink. Your dishwasher does not automatically get squid ink even off of highly polished uh, 304, 316 stainless bowls. It's like you have to scrub that crap off. Like squid ink is just a freaking nightmare. Is it the iodine? I don't know what it is. And Booker was like, it's healthy. And I've said this on the air before. I was like, no one has ever eaten this much, so there is no data. (laughs) In the same way that that guy who ate like three bags of black licorice, (laughs) he switched from red to black and died. You ever heard about this? I have not. Yeah, this was a number of years ago. A construction worker, his habit to make it through the day was to eat roughly three sacks of red licorice. And one day, or one week, he was like, I'm going to start doing black. Died. Because no one is supposed to eat that much black licorice. Not even the Dutch. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, it just didn't work. Anyway. uh, Cool. All right. Uh, did I miss anyone? Anyone? Anything? 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 No. anything? All right. Uh, so today, I think we're going to go in reverse order so that we can talk about not well, not reverse, but let's bring up one of the later questions first. I'm going to do all the questions first, and then we'll talk about our own stuff at the end. That way, I don't run out of time without asking people's questions. Sure. And uh, Will Robinson, uh, you know, we converse a lot with him on the on the Twitter and whatnot. Uh, says this isn't a, a question as much as a suggestion for conversation. And uh, this is something that comes up a lot, and actually I think about it a lot, especially because we're going to be talking about books that are older, books that uh, you know, <clears throat> I maybe or you maybe read first 20, 30 years ago. And so uh, this isn't a question as much as a suggestion for the conversation. We've been talking a lot on the forum, the Patreon forum. By the way, how are they going to join the Patreon? Patreon.com slash cooking issues. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll get such things as next week on the show, we have uh, Andrea Nguyen for uh, what's her new book called? Uh, Evergreen, Evergreen Vietnamese. And she wrote, to the best of my knowledge, the only decent book on tofu since uh, Shirtleaf's uh, book back in the day. Is that, am I right about that, Matt? I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. Asian tofu, 10 speed press. Yeah. Good. I own it. Yes. Yeah. I made tofu from that book and I was sure I would have some miserable failure. And I was like, holy cow, look at this in my own kitchen. Yeah. And definitely a, I have nothing against the shirt leaf books because I love them, but a definite relief in tone. Yes. I think that's <laughs> a really accurate. Andrea's inviting you along. Yeah, yeah. She wants you to have a good time. She doesn't want you to necessarily feel like you have to subscribe to the true religion. Yeah. 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 Thank God. I mean, Love the shirt leaf book, but I'm just saying. Anyway, so she'll be in the studio next week, right, John? Yep. Nice. Uh, and her book will be one of the things you get if you join the Patreon is you could get to buy her book uh, with the Patreon discount at Kitchen Arts Letters. True. Absolutely. Yeah. It's already there. Is it new? Is it brand new? It's there, and um, if you hustle, you will get a signed copy because she's coming to the store to sign copies for us on Thursday. Sweet. You hear that, folks? And I, and I believe is it true that if they order online, they can request those copies or no? We'll fill cop. All orders with those copies as long as we have them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if if we're saying on the website they're going to be signed, they'll be signed until 
we turn that off. Oh, that's like a little, just like a function? We try to make it that way, yeah. All right, so back to Will's It does require human intervention. Yeah, which is, you know, nightmare. Fallible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, look, the internet, uh, I love it, but if you can go to the store, go to the store. Yeah, come see us. We always end up talking to people, like being on this show, like the conversation ricochets off to five or six different points, and then suddenly you're pulling out, or I'm pulling out a book that none of us knew we'd be talking about when you walked in the door. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Uh, You should go. Uh, We've been talking a lot on the Patreon forum about cultural appropriation as pertaining to the culinary world. I'd be interested in hearing Matt's thoughts on the subject. Uh, That said, if if it ends up being outside of the scope of the conversation, there's zero pressure to talk about it. But I think it's kind of interesting, especially when we're going to discuss older books, uh, typically more likely in English to be written by people who aren't of the culture they're writing about, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to, your take. So I, I have actually encountered people who are really interested in subjects, writing about subjects, coming to us, thinking about doing some research, and, and because they're not from the culture that's in, evolved, feeling like maybe they should stay away from it. I don't think that that's, um, that's a necessary take. Um, I can understand stopping for a moment and pausing and, and asking yourself some important questions, but I don't think you should not be engaged. So the problem comes when somebody says, and this is true, I, you know, whether you're in the culture or out, there is one way that this is done and this is the best way and this is the authentic way. And, you know, and you attempt to be definitive and to cut other people out of the discussion. And if you are interested in, um, say, a soup that's made only on two islands in the Philippines, and you're not Filipino, and you're looking around and saying, nobody else is writing about this in English. I can't find any material. I'm really interested. I've been there. I've traveled there. I've you know, researched how this came about and, and how it differs from you know, the west coast of the island to the east coast of the island. And you have been pursuing all this. You shouldn't hold back from talking about that because you're not keeping somebody else out of that field by opening up the discussion. And as long as you're not saying, well, I've, you know, I know everything there is to know about this and here's, here's the only book you'll ever need and anybody else who tells you otherwise is, is wrong. I mean, that kind of attitude doesn't matter whether or not you're in the culture or out of the culture. Um, so sometimes publishers, I think, in their push to make, to oversell things will wrap around a book, those, you know, those phrases, like the best ever, the only book that will ever need to be written on this subject. I mean, all those sort of empty baloney uh, marketing phrases that don't belong there to begin with. Um, that's, uh, that's the really sort of horrible downside of, of tackling that. So as an author, you need to be stepping back from that kind of push. But the, as vast as the world is, there is so much that isn't written about. And there are so many ways to write and to get the word out that I don't think people should be holding back. Nice. You also said bologna. Do you enjoy bologna? Uh, I wasn't going to say bologna, but it's a family show, so. Yeah, I enjoy bologna. I don't think people eat it very much anymore. I haven't. I don't know. I haven't had bologna, I mean, real bologna in a long time. Mortadella? Yeah. Sometimes I just want American bologna. Hmm. This guy behind me, Likes it's not really bologna. He likes ring bologna, which is basically a sausage. Ring bologna, whatever. What do they call it in the in the? How do yeah, they pronounce I think it? I think ring bologna. 
Bologna, yeah. Bologna, yeah. yeah, I don't know, but I like that Connecticut thing. No, no, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. I like I like Lebanon Bologna, which is Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and it's sour. Yeah, it's good, mm. but nothing like Bologna. I like old school, like American Oscar Mayer lunch meat Bologna style fried sandwich. Really bad bread. <laughs> really bad bread. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You make it. You go. Yo, blap. You hit it. You fry it. It separates into the Pac Man shape. Right? You're with me, right, John? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Nastasia, I think, hates it. I think that's my memory. Um, ben Wheat wants to know any book recommendations for homebrew liqueurs. And I know you have at least one if you like Italian stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is uh, the only really thing that I can offer right now is a book called Italian Liqueurs by um, uh, Renato, whose last name just went right out of my head. It's on our website. He is um, affiliated with Slow Food in Italy. These are uh, recipes that are uh, collected from home liqueur makers throughout Italy. It is not a systematic, scientific, no, it is not rigorously yeah. <laughs> uh, analytical book. It is, um, in a way, it's sort of like oral history food. Uh, field work. He went out there and he got these things and he reproduces them. So you have to come to it with um, a certain amount of caution uh, and, your, and bring your own rigor to the process. But it, uh, it gives you a sense of how, um, uh, how many things people will try to make into a liqueur. Yeah. And at the end of almost every recipe, he's like, don't touch it three months. <laughs> it's like this whole thing, like, don't touch it. Uh, by the way, call in your questions if you're listening live on Patreon too, 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. Uh, we have uh, from Prince Symbol. Prince Symbol would like to know, uh, how has your typical customer at the store changed over time? So for us, um, in the 40 years that we've been open, which this is our 40th anniversary year. Yeah, so, congrats. Uh, congrats. Gonna be making some noise about that coming up this fall. Um, our customer has become more specifically interested in certain things rather than um, a generalist. We have some sections in the store have declined, like books on entertaining it used to be mm. hugely popular. Those people aren't coming to us right now. Because those are the people that just look it up on all recipes? Or, you know, they just want a pretty table setting so they can look on Instagram and get ideas for that. I mean, there are all kinds of resources for, for people with those interests. But we have found that the more we can burrow in on something, the more we can find something that's very specific, the happier it will make our customers. So I just brought in a book from Ireland on soda bread uh, in which uh, a woman who was doing performance pieces went around Dublin and Cork and interviewed people about what is soda bread? What's your recipe for it? And some people are like, I buy it. And other people wrote out recipes for her and they shared them with her. So she's reproducing the conversations on the recipes. And she only printed 200 copies. Um, I bought a quarter of them. Nice. And I've sold half of them already. And it's that kind of like um, really sharp focused, you know, maybe there will only be one book like this ever, but it's great for people who are interested to find that book. So um, there's more of that for us is that, that quirkiness, that that specificity. Yeah, now I'm intrigued about this freaking soda bread book. You ruined me every time I talk <laughs> to you. Now, like in my mind, I'm like, okay. So I wonder when I wonder when that came to be like a, a cultural thing. It had to be sometime in like the 
18 like sometime in the 1800s when that stuff became popular like the the alternate leavenings right yes i that would be my assumption that's not really explored here this is right. just like it's a very personal right. series of recollections and i wonder what the connection is between for instance like famous like irish like uh uh chemically leavened breads and like damper from um Australia, right? Like Reg Absalom's book, is that his name? The guy who wrote the outdoor cooking book in in uh, Australia, in the out, Outback Cuisine, amazing book. Or like American quick stuff. But of course, those books are great. Those like old, like, you know, leavening books are great here. Like, what is it called? The Royal Baking Book was one. I forget them. I wasn't, I didn't come expecting to talk about artificial no, I, leavening. I, I didn't either. But. Yeah. Uh, anyway, now you got me. Uh, how much is that book? $40. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, I can't. I can't. My wife is like, no books. What? I I always admired your wife. What happened? Uh, it's just my house <laughs> is full. <laughs> back when I, back when I had a place, like like literally, if you open any door in my house, behind it is either a book or some form of cooking implement. <laughs> and as an architect, she can't tolerate the intense kind of just non-organization. Like I know where most of my books are, but like I had a, I've now gotten in the habit if I have a particularly precious book that I feel only belongs to one, like there's, I meet the person and I'm like, you must own this book. I will give it to them if I don't absolutely need it. There's a book, I forget the title of it now, but it's, I think it's called uh, Some of Our Trees. And it was written by a, uh, a fellow in Ohio and it's the book from like 1920s on like trees in Ohio and a friend of ours is moving to Ohio. I was like, I have the book you need to have. <laughs> and then when I get, picked it up to look at it, I was like, I can't get rid of this book. I'm like, but you have to own it. You know what I mean? Bought it at that. You know that you ever, there's a, anyway. if you ever go to Provincetown people, there's a little cute little used bookstore you have to spend a long time but they have some gems that's where i got that one i i remember that because i if you buy a used book at a bookstore keep the receipt in the book so that 15 years later when you're leafing through the book you can see where you got it anything that's a good idea uh, in most cases watch out for what the the kind of paper that it's printed on some uh, receipt paper is high acid uh, and it will stain the pages or depending on how long it sits there I'll keep it behind in the cover but i just like to know where things are from put it in an envelope and there then put go. it in the book all right but we've we have found old books with newspaper clippings in them and the clippings have eaten through oh. pages Ooh, the acid is that that's hot. no good so i mean your register tape isn't likely to to eat through the page but it can discolor the book yeah yeah do you like it when you find a book and someone's pressed a flower into it i love that yeah, or just little notes that people have left inside. I mean, sometimes it's a receipt, sometimes it's a a recipe that they pulled out of something else. I think it uh, it just makes the book feel like uh, its history is stronger. Do you personally bring your books into the kitchen or never? I never do. My books go in the kitchen. My books go in the kitchen. Um, I think I asked you this one of the times you were on, but yeah. yeah. You can pull my book off the shelf and it, falls open to pages and they're dirty and I'm I'm just I'm not tidy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, read it, get your ideas, and then go into the kitchen. That's what I do. I read, get anyway, whatever. Uh from the great state of New Jersey. Unspecified where. Okay. Uh I'm struggling to find a book with a good thorough overview of Japanese cooking for a decent home cook but novice to Japanese cooking. Would love any recommendations. Is Japanese cooking a simple art still the the go to or has it been superseded? 
Japanese cooking, the simple art, is a really deep dive. And um, for somebody who's strongly interested in classic Japanese cooking, I would say it is a lifetime book. It will stay useful for many, many years. It can be a little daunting to start with. And it isn't always necessarily true that you want to go that deep. So I would probably suggest Elizabeth Andos Washoku, which is uh, home cooking. She's an American woman who married into a Japanese family. These are the recipes that she learned from her mother-in-law, from her neighbors. And it is really Japanese home weeknight cooking. Um, so it has good information on making things like dashi and the kinds of staple items that a Japanese cook would expect to have at home. But it's not... Um, not as rigorous as the suji Japanese cooking a simple art. And it has photographs, which can also help people sort of take the plunge. On the, on the Japanese cooking a simple art, is there much difference between the original edition and the one that came out like in 2014 or whatever? Uh, other than the addition of a forward? No. 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 Yeah. Uh, eh. Whichever uh, one you find is a good one to buy. Agos writes in, any recommendations on a cookbook about Portuguese sweets, especially, uh, especially what, what's conve conve conventional? I think conventional. Conventional sweets. So what, like egg tarts, you mean? That was my guess from the quote. I mean. I'm the only person who doesn't love egg tarts, by the way. I think they're fine. Huh. And by the way, Portuguese <laughs> language is, is uh, okay. Or Portuguese cooking in general. It's probably English, whatever language, doesn't matter. You so love egg tarts? I don't think I love them. I, you know, if somebody gives me one, I'm, th oh, thank you. But it's, it's a it's, thing now. I, People go crazy. I, I won't go out of my way for the, for an egg tart. It's the cannelé of today. <laughs> People, get, I also don't go crazy for them. I think they're fine. What? I think they're fine. <laughs> Jeez. I don't wake. I don't look. If you if you put me in a car, right, mm -hmm. and you're like, you need to drive 50 miles to get this cheese, or 15 miles to get this cannelé, I will go 50 miles to get the cheese. Okay. And if you said you have to go 50 miles to get this cheese or walk three blocks and get this awesome egg tart, I will go 50 miles and get the cheese. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to know where you stand in the world. I yeah. think that other people think that they're great, and I'm not about to say that they're not great for many people. I just – I had a bad experience in Hong Kong. My mouth got burned to smithereens by an egg tart. There was – virtually flavorless other than the intense heat of it scorching the roof of my mouth and having two hot pizza style mouth drippings like coming down like stalag freaking tights for the next couple of days and ever since uh, i'm like uh, i'm like egg tarts no thank you you know what i mean anyway that's me though i have an update about that question conventual because they were originally made by convents ah <laughs> convent ah. style well, that only makes it harder, unfortunately. Um, I've Made never, by nuns. I've seen very little um, in English on Portuguese baking. Um, we carried for a brief time a book called uh, Fabrico Proprio, uh, which was published in Brazil, but about uh, Portuguese, uh, what it called industrial baking, which meant small-scale artisan bake shops in Lisbon. Um, and that was really more of an appreciation. It did not have recipes. It was photographs of pastry case after pastry case after pastry case. Um, so this is a big hole. Um, my knowledge of Portuguese is poor enough that there may be 
amazing things published in Portugal that I don't know about. Um, I have to say I'm outside my, my expertise there. But um, the standard, good, reliable cookbooks in English on Portuguese food just don't go into any depth um, on baked goods, to be honest. I mean, uh, David Leet's uh, book or, um, you know, when uh, George Mendez's book was around, mm -hmm. I mean, they had a few nice things, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a deep dive. And, and I haven't seen that. And if somebody is out there thinking, I understand Portuguese baking better than the average Joe, maybe I should do a book. I think there could be an opportunity there. Yeah. If you come to it with a, with a skill set to begin with. Yeah. I mean, uh, not even like Portuguese American stuff that no one's written those books like uh, baking and the, and the, like there have been about, like little, you know, like church fundraising books and things like that, but like I could bro a recipe or whatnot. Didn't That's not George sweets. Mendes come out with, he's Portuguese, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh, my Portugal is unfortunately no, uh, no longer available. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about books on convent cooking? I never even thought about that. Um, I've seen a couple of books in Spanish on Mexican convent cooking. Um, again, small distribution within Mexico. Um, it doesn't surprise me that somebody might ask that question about Portugal, but I've not seen it. Uh, and I certainly haven't seen anything. I'm not aware of anything in English. Monastic cookbooks, yes, right? Those have been pretty scant too, and they often tend to be... Um, Recent books by like somebody says, oh, let's, you know, we've got a convent, we've got a, a monastery, which may or may not be Catholic. I mean, sometimes they're sort of lay monasteries. Um, but it, it's always been slightly mysterious to me that people would be really interested in the food of people who are supposed to leave a life of, you know, absolution. That's just funny. My stepfather, when he was at uh, Columbia University uh, for the first couple of years, lived in a place called Schuyler Hall, which was run by Opus Dei, which is a Catholic blah, blah, blah. And uh, they used to have uh, these incredible meals cooked and have the, their favorite foods brought in front of them. And then they would send it away as part of their mortification. How bizarre is that? That seems, I mean, I hope that they ended up going to somebody. I don't know. This was the early 70s. It seems rather ostentatious. Yeah, well, it's Opus Day. Um, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm going to put this luxury in front of me. And then, you know, they also, they, you know, they had the, the Scylla, the wire, and the, you know, the self-flagellation. They were doing the whole self-mortification thing. But it always seemed very bizarre to me that you would waste something just to deny yourself, right? I mean, yeah. they had to have given it to somebody. I hope so. Yeah, I mean... Now that I think about it, there's a, um, a book called Bitter Almonds by uh, Mary Gramatico and Mary Taylor Samedi, Maria Gramatico and Mary Taylor Samedi, uh, which is about the baking that Gramatico learned um, in a convent in Sicily. Um, so it's not Portugal, unfortunately. Um, and that's partly a memoir, but it does have um, some specialized baked goods that... Uh, that she was taught there. The, the young women at the convent who were there as orphans um, had to learn to bake to help support the convent. Um, What's the name of the book again? Bitter Almonds. Mm. That sounds like a good book. Published about, I would say, 1995. Um, I would pr pretty much pick up anything that Mary Taylor Samedi has written, but that one is probably closest to what would answer the question here. And I know from Mexico that there are some convent suites in... 
um, My Sweet Mexico by Fanny Gerson. Oh, nice. She has a few things there. I haven't seen her in a long time. That's a great book. Yeah. It's just, and, it, and it's an example of how there are so many opportunities to, to get specific in areas that get overlooked. Yeah. Uh, for all you aspiring writers out there. Yeah. Um, see, Michael JK wants to know what are, says hello first. Uh, what are some good resources for using a pressure cooker? After finally getting my own place and hearing you mention Coon Recon many times, I bought a few of their Duramatic pieces on eBay. It came with a manual uh, with basic functionality, but I'm looking for a good reference book to might go over different principles of using a pressure cooker versus non-pressure methods. If I Google an item followed by the words pressure cooker, I get endless results for Instapot recipes. Would these apply the same? Is there a good resource you could point me to? Well, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, Instapot recipes are written for a lower pressure than your Kuhn Recon will do, so the timing will be different. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you got, Matt? All I know is the, just uh, reading all the Lorna Sass books. That's all I know. Or hip pressure cooking. Um, I think Lorna Sass is a great resource. Unfortunately, none of her books are in print anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're out there looking on the used market, cooking under pressure uh, would be a great place to start. Which is I, not the, not the what's-his-name book. Not the Keller book. Under, that's just under pressure. Yeah. Now, Lorna's is cooking under pressure. Yeah, yeah. And Keller's is about sous vide, yes. Yeah. Dumb name for that book. I, Dumb name for that book. The world contains mysteries that are inaccessible to me. Um, Stupid name. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the popularity of the Instant Pot has sort of chased out almost anything else related at the moment, and I'm not aware of... That's uh, a genius name, Instant Pot. It's not instant. It's kind of a pot. pot. So it's like, it's like uh, you know, but like that's what people... That's why, you know, Maria Guarnaschelli was such a freaking genius because she was willing to say on the cover of a book the thing that would make it sell, right? Like Leahy's book, No Work, No Need Bread. Obviously, there's work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, anyway... Yeah, instant. It, it's instant, Matt. I instant. don't know if you know that about this pot. It's instant. I have I have never touched one. Really? I don't own one either. Yeah. I used to have the yeah, I used to have the Cuisinart electric pressure cooker. I modified that. They all run at a lower pressure than the than the Kuhn Recon does. And I don't know, I guess it's convenient. I like uh if you're fortunate enough to have a decent induction burner, like using a regular pressure cooker is nice because you can do a lot of stuff that way without having to worry about scorching. Uh, hip pressure cooking, is that still around or no? That came out in 20, I don't know, 15, 16, something like this. Remember that? I don't. I'm yeah. trying to recall it. I hip, can't. Hip pressure cooking. She had a blog whose name is out of my head. Uh, her name just went out of my head. Crazy, because it would have been in my head like 20 minutes ago. Of course. And then, yeah, she wrote a book on pressure cooking. No one's yet written a book, as far as I know, that uh, includes like all the technical aspects of it. Like, um, Really what what needs to be done, I was working on it a little bit, but it's a pain in the butt, is figuring out exactly kind of how the time constants change for different uh, foods because different compounds of interest like uh, collagen and whatnot break down at um, different rates, vastly different rates depending on pressure. And so you should be able to just apply multipliers to certain kinds of, of things. And, and we all kind of just do it by mental, you know, mental, mental thought. And then there's like, you know, you need to make the allium correction because all the sulfur-containing things like garlic and onions, like they get tamped way, way, way down. So you have to do things like if you really want a lot of that garlic flavor, you have to open it after you add it. You know what I mean? 
a lot of moisture management and pressure cooking. I've been writing about pressure cooking for my moisture management book just for that reason, but it's not a pressure cooker book. Anyway, sorry we couldn't help you more, Michael. Anyway, uh, I feel like we, I feel like we let Michael, or maybe it's just the world has the, been let the down. publishing world let him down. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. Yeah, you're 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 pushing him in the right direction. You're making good things happen for him. All right, Fupjack says, "Hey, what's a good book that talks about sugar types and how to handle them?" I noticed Quinn's Gelato Obsession book talks about the relative sweetness a bit, but I'm interested in learning more about things like controlling water activity or texture. And before you and Quinn go on this, I have to say. I do not, anytime someone says that they know what the relative sweetness of something is, I don't believe it. I just simply don't believe it. I think it's all based on crap data. It's all based on, like, what does that even mean? Because things can have different relative sweetnesses depending on the concentration. It can be concentration dependent and temperature dependent and medium dependent. So the same thing with like relative acidity. To me, these are too complicated to just talk, talk about that way. But anyway, that's all I'll say about that sugar. Uh, well, people do love to quantify. It's yeah. always an effort. So um, it wasn't clear from the context of this question whether this was specific to gelato. I mean, I hear Quinn and I think gelato. So I um, I sort of went in that direction. Um, it's almost always the case that, that this topic is discussed in uh, a context of a specific environment or goal. And we just picked up a book uh, brought in a book called uh, Minus 12 Degrees Centigrade Gelato, uh, which is put together by a um, a Belgian and a Dutchman. And uh, it has a section on uh, different types of sugar and their behavior specific to gelato. Um, it has uh, a, what do they call it? An anti a measurement of their anti freezing power. Oh, yeah, and Quinn uh, loves that. You know, right, Quinn? You're 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 a big anti anti. You're big like uh, lactose anti freeze ability and uh, using uh, glucose. You love it. You love an alternative sugar. Am I correct, Quinn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is a the the book has a slight limit in that they they've imported their uh, some French language abbreviations uh, and not translated them to English, but so they do talk about the relative sweetness of different types of, of sugars, um, but they go sucrose, dextrose, glucose syrups, maltodextrins, which they say are mixtures, and so they can't be uniformly addressed, right. invert sugars, fructose, honey, um, and uh, they lactose, trehalose? Yeah. Okay. Or trehalose, I don't know. I never, I never pronounce that stuff out loud. What do you guys uh, think of allulose? Oh, I don't know much about that. I believe it's the sugar that's derived that comes from raisins and I think another type of dried fruit. Um, it's very expensive, but quite delicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like raisins. I think I said I think it might be is it date or prune? No, it's it's it's, it's the sugar from prunes. I love and, prunes and um, and raisins. Yeah, I, I like raisins. I love prunes because prunes are delicious. I think they should be nature's candy. I think raisins can go hang and prunes should be nature's <laughs> candy. Prunes, listen, I'm going to offend some people here. Prunes taste better than raisins. Raisins are delicious. Prunes better. You, uh, John, you, you a fan of those, uh, those French prunes, those high, those high grade, what are those, agnole or whatever they're called? I don't know if I've had those. I forget the name. It starts in A. Not, not lamb. They're not lamb prunes. But no, like, no. Uh, like something, but like there's this... Does you know there's some there's some French prune high grade real moist prunes are so good. Hmm? I love a prune. You don't need to inject them 
with, uh, you know, Barbara Mandrell, I believe it was, used to hawk fruit essence pitted prunes where the Sunsweet Corporation would inject lemon and orange essence into prunes. Unnecessary gilding of the lily, in my opinion. The prune <laughs> can stand on its own. Yeah, but the lemon injected ones are delicious. I do love those. Yeah? Yes, they are delicious. I, I have not tried them. I will give them a chance. You know, sometimes I'll put my foot down and I just won't even get into it. I won't even get into it. I'll be like, I don't need that in my life. But if you're telling me it's good, Joe, I will try the lemon essence. Stay away from the orange. Try the lemon is what you're telling me. I didn't love, I didn't love the orange. Okay. What are your thoughts on flavored Milano's? I like the mint. Really? Mint one, yeah, it's good. I like a plain Milano. I mean, that's good too. Only mint for me. Oh, oh. God. Matt? I... I have not had a Milano in 25 years. You must so. rectify this. <laughs> that, that, that is that is the Pepperidge that is the Pepperidge Farm cookie of merit, in my opinion. I see. Okay. I am like if if you're a Pepperidge Farm cookie person growing up, to me that's the cookie. Are you a Sausalito guy? That's later. That's like that's like Nouveau Pepperidge Farm in my world. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a later. Yeah. The, the sort of the. The bigger chunky. Yeah. You're not a chessman ones. person, are you? What is your Pepperidge Farm <laughs> cookie, Matt? My mother didn't buy cookies. Oh, okay. We weren't, that was like, yeah, we couldn't have those in the house. What about the yeah. Brussels? Is it the Brussels? the Brussels? Oh, I think I remember what you're talking oh, about. It's like the, and the cookie gets, gets, it's kind of sticky and kind of gets in the corners of your teeth. Uh, I think I remember the one you're talking about. What's your, what's your, what's your Girl Scout cookie, Joe? I mean, the I mean, mint. I mean, anything, anything mint for me is, a, is a, I, I have to have. Samoa's mint. Yes. Yeah. Um, Samoa's are good, too. The coconut? Yeah. Samoa's. Yeah, come on. Oh, Samoa's are the answer, yeah. Yeah. Samoa's. Well, didn't, I just, I thought I read something about the, um, the Girl Scout cookies came with some type of limited edition cookie that's going for, like, $50 a box. What? what? And who gets the money? The Girl Scouts or the Interbate Corporation? Know. I mean, like, what's in it? Is it like, like THC? Or I mean, I, don't... I d highly <laughs> doubt that. That would be something. That would be something. Uh, all right. Yeah, their Raspberry <laughs> Rally. That's the sold out one that's on resale market. That doesn't sound great to me. Hey, I had this idea for like, what if I was talking to Miley, who's got to come on the show, Miley Carpenter, my sister in law. What if someone did an American Linzer tort where it was a peanut butter cookie with the grape, with the grape, instead of the raspberry and the almonds, the peanut butter and the grape. That would be a sick cookie. Yeah, I want that right now. I want my PB&J Linzer tort right now. Mm. Anyway. Uh, and they're never going to make it there because they don't have respect for grape jelly or for peanuts. They're never going to make it. It's never going to happen if we leave it to those lousy Europeans. Mm. No offense. You know? <laughs> Um, you call it what's what's the French word aquahete? It's starting to show up in all the French pastry books. The peanuts are oh yeah. cacahuets. Okay, yeah. beurre de cacahuete, and they hate it. They say it with such disdain. Beurre de cacahuete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then they're like American. You know what I mean? Like that, but that's not the way they talk. Okay, Stardebart fast. Ooh, Slardebart fast. What are your best tools and methods for managing a large cookbook collection? I catalog with library thing, but I'm struggling with physical books, piles and piles. Been considering using half price books organization uh, system. Matt, what do you think? So I'm not familiar with uh, with either of these. Um, I mean, I know that they exist, but I I haven't used them and I don't have any experience with them. So, um, the organization of your library needs only to work for you. Um, it doesn't really have to work for anybody else. So you shouldn't be 
you know, as you're thinking about how you're going to shelve your books, hopefully you have the shelf space for them. Uh, you don't want to worry about what somebody else is going to say if they come into your house and looks at your books. I mean, if you can, you know, if you want them all alphabetical by author, if you want them uh, by subject, by theme. By color is not valid, though. It, it, it will cost you some points with me, but I'm probably not going to sneak into your house and look at your book collection. I'm going so to. do what you want. But um, yeah, I mean, I find subject organization to be the most helpful because of the way I tend to start thinking about books. I mean, some things, of course, obviously can fit in multiple categories, but, you know, am I looking to make a birthday cake for somebody? I want to find my baking books all together. Am I, uh, did I come home from the green market with a, with an armful of something and I, you know, I want to cook it in a certain national style. I want to be able to find the, uh, the Japanese books. Um, there are, you know, resources like uh, Eat Your Books, which will allow you to access their database. And, you know, if you remember that somewhere in your library, you, you saw a recipe for uh, a root beer syrup and you've told it every book you have in your library, it can tell you which books will have that. That's cool. Have that recipe. It's a subscription service, but the people I know who use it uh, are really generally pretty happy with it. And there's a, I think they have a good community of users there. I am spoiled by having this, you know, 12,000 title plus 6,000 supplemental secret basement library that uh, I go to when I want to, and uh, I don't worry about doing it at home. What I wouldn't give for a supplemental basement. <laughs> uh, Dobrik, um, maybe this is Lukash, I'm not sure, uh, asks um, question for the next classics in the field, Chinese vegetarian cookbooks. Um, you know, there are things coming on strong now. There's a lot of more interesting publishing. Shaoxing uh, Chao did a Chinese vegetarian soul food book about two years ago. There's a new Chinese vegan book that's out from, from 10 Speed Press uh, that are, I think, interesting and serious. Um, obviously, long tradition of vegetarian cooking in China, some of it oriented around access, some of it oriented around philosophy. Um, but the pu older publishing, I'm really not aware of it. Um, it tended Chinese books, when they occurred, tended to be attempted to be comprehensive. Did you like those old Wei Chuan uh, double language ones? Those were really interesting books. I never used them. Um, I had a bunch of them. I loved looking at them. And I vaguely remember that there was a vegetarian volume in that set, but it's been so long since I've seen one that I can't, I can't give much of an impression about it. Those were books for people who who knew the cuisine. They had nothing in the way of head notes. They didn't orient you. They just threw the ingredients with you and a very yeah, terse set of instructions. That's why I like them there. And, and if you're comfortable in the cuisine, they could be really helpful. If you were getting your feet wet, they could be um, a little opaque. Yeah. 
All right, we have only four minutes and 34 seconds left. You brought three books. Do this one last. Let's talk about the three books that you're that you're talking about. Okay, so the first book that I, uh, I think people should know about and pay attention to is a book called Great Sausage Recipes and Meat Curing by Ritek Kutas. Uh, the man founded a company up in Buffalo called The Sausage Maker, which sells sausage making equipment. You can still find the book there on his website. Uh, it is old school, um, highly practical, broad spectrum, meat curing, sausage making. You can find, not surprisingly, given the man's name, a lot of Polish sausages, but you'll find uh, Italian sausages and hams. And uh, although his Italian stuff, like he takes it to that kind of Germano-Polish side when he goes, like he definitely leans heavy. Well, you know, it's from the Trentino. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, this is the kind of book that that a that a neighborhood butcher store butcher shop from forty years ago would have had behind the counter, and they would have been making a lot of their own things using this, and they've been playing with the formulas a little bit. Um, and it was the only widely available book until the original charcuterie uh, Simon's and Roman book came out. I bought my copy from you guys like maybe I don't know early 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 two thousands. Yeah, it's um. The family has kept it updated. I mean, I think the most recent update is now 15 years old. And the but name they, has changed a couple times, right? A little bit. I mean, the last three editions, I think, were great great sausage recipes and meat curing. Um, it's just, it's practical. It, you can put it to use. If you go on their website, I mean, I'm not trying to plug what right. we do. You will see review after review after review, people saying, I've had this book since I was, you know, 25 years old and I'm buying one now for my son-in-law. I mean, it's just, it has loyalty. It has reliability. And your website's The Sausage Maker, right? Yeah, yeah. just Sausage Maker, oh, not Nova. No Sausagemaker.com, up in Buffalo. You can buy equipment from them. You can buy prog powder from them and yeah, yeah. Uh, and all kinds of things. They're, they're a good resource to know about. And the book is- Is um, he still on the cover? No, no, <laughs> it's just, a, yeah. Uh, it looks like a 1978 charcuterie board. Oh, get the old school one with him on the front. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they've changed it. Maybe it's updated. Maybe it's more modern now. I don't know. Yeah, you could you could probably find one of the one with the old cover on it out there, but no jacket anymore. It's just a oh really paper over boards. All right, okay. But all right, um, it's that it's that sort of small artisan uh, inventiveness and and dogged pursuit yeah. of of a goal. He was the Papazian of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was he was there. He was yeah. like testing everything, getting out there, developing the formulas. That's a homebrew reference for you people. Anyway, uh, all right, what, what, what's the next one? Okay, so a uh, book called Italian Re Regional Cooking by Ada Boni. Uh, she is most famous for having a book called, written a book called uh, uh, La Talismana della Felicita, which was a incredibly popular book uh, published in Italy uh, beginning in the 1930s. It was a popular wedding gift, like uh, The Silver Spoon, sort of one of the books that any Italian household might have. This was a later work of hers. Um, it is one of the first big looks in English at Italian regional food. Um, it's had sort of state-of-the-art photography before its day, although- That's great. The photography is great. 
it's um, and it also tell, tells you that whatever people are telling you with Instagram filters is not what things actually look like. Right, but I just open to like a random page and it's like uh, Bistecca Fiorentina and the beans in the in the in the flask and it's like old school, old school stuff. Very old school, very old school. Um, sometimes uh, unabashedly so. Uh, as she talks about different regions, she's definitely reflecting the point of view of a prosperous woman from Rome. She uh, speaks of some people as living as near savages. And mind you, this is 1968. So it's- But a lot of these recipes are recipes that I see later in like Bujali's books and like the pappardelle with the rabbit or like the chestnut cake. Although I noticed that hers is completely unleavened, which is kind of like, <laughs> I looked at it, I was like, that's the densest. And there's a picture of it, the densest damn chestnut cake I've seen in my whole life. All right. And we still have uh, two minutes, and you got to talk about. It. You happen to suggest one of my favorite all-time books. So this book has had uh, been published under a couple of different titles: Chinese Gastronomy, originally in 1969, sometimes available in a paperback edition called The Art of Chinese Cuisine. Um, it is, um, in the words of the great scholar Anne Mendelssohn, thoughtfully meandering, which always makes me think about exactly why it would appeal to you. Uh, it's one of the first books to provide thorough use of Chinese characters to describe the dishes. Um, it makes a lot of references to early Chinese texts, which were not being written about. I mean, they're going back to like 1100 BC to find references. It talks about the evolution of Chinese cooking as well as the regional material. And it's beautiful. You have the hardcover here. Oh my uh, God, it's so gorgeous. If you can find a hardcover with the color plates in it, it's really worthwhile. Yeah. But even the paperback without the color plates. I is... got mine for two bucks. <laughs> They're now like, they cost a lot more. It's got a beautiful Celadon cover. The, I think it's Celadon, right? It's a little greener. The the faded part is Celadon. Right. And then uh, the color plates are amazing. The attitude, the mother-daughter team wrote it. The daughter is still alive. She's a biochem. As far as I know, she's still alive because she came out with a book I bought from you in 2015 called Slippery Noodles, which is kind of a history of Chinese cuisine written in English. But like, I would get this book first, way before I would get the Slippery Noodles book. This is the book from which I first made Tung Po pork. This is the book where I made cream stock for the first time. I actually made bird's nest soup from this book once. Um, Bear in mind, because it was written in 1969, this is before Americans really knew anything about Szechuan cuisine, because that came in with kind of the Nixon era. John could talk about that forever because we worked on Chow <laughs> together. But uh, just a really good book. And I don't, I think it's going to be different, but not dated in the way that some things date themselves. It is dated, like you say, she has a certain attitude, very kind of aristocratic attitude. But like, if you like reading stories about like people getting bent, do you remember the story about the, the butcher with the cleaver? No. Rich guy, it's, a, it's an old, you know, because she's very historically minded, right? So like you say, a lot of like references to history, you know, thousands, thousands of years of history. A, guy, a rich guy walks up to the butcher who's uh, hacking up cows and says, oh, you have a great, great skill hacking up cows. And he's like, this is not a skill. I don't, it's not a skill. Like I live this. This is my life. This is the Tao. Like I'm doing this and I don't ever have to sharpen my cleaver. I never have to get a new cleaver because I never hit anything. I don't look, I look at a cow. I don't see a cow. I see where my cleaver is going to go. I don't even see whole animals anymore. And it's just like going off on like this cleaver use and you're just being like, damn, damn. That, I mean, 
that kind of writing just doesn't come along often enough. Yeah. And so when you can find it, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Check out that. Check out that book. Chinese. Uh, what, what's the other title? What's the more recent title? Art of Chinese Cooking. Art of Chinese Cooking. Yeah. Anyway, check it out. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Always a pleasure. Delighted. Thank you again. All right. And how did your odds and ends sale go? Did really well. We did really well. We uh, more than ever before. We sold twelve hundred books. I ah, love it. Well, All right. Days, so. All right. Check out uh, Kitchen Arts and Letters Cooking Issues. Oh.